We, uh, we live in a world now that is uh, filled with people who are suffering. Lots of natural disasters in our hemisphere and south, and, and we think about our friends in Texas and Florida and um, uh, Puerto Rico, Mexico's earthquake, and now these brush fires in California. Uh, I had a report this morning that one of the young men that grew up in our church, know him very well, moved his, his family out to Northern California a few years ago, and his home has been lost in the fires. And so all of us are affected by these things, one way or another. And of course, uh, the man-made tragedies with the shootings and so forth. We live in a difficult, challenging, even violent world. And the question then is sometimes asked, well, how should the church respond? And of course, we respond in practical ways to extend care and offer relief and those sorts of things. And certainly we engage in those ways. But I'll remind you that the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 15, he said, it's appropriate not only to celebrate with those who celebrate, but to grieve with those who grieve. And so we have a lot of people that we know, brothers and sisters, who are grieving and hurting for various reasons today. And so it's appropriate for us to sense their pain, maybe even feel some of their pain, and, and to pray to pray for them. So I know that uh, as the service unfolds today, maybe you'll have folks that you know or at least are aware of who need God's peace. And so I hope you'll be praying that way. Today we want to pick up the phrase in the Apostles' Creed called the church, the Holy Catholic Church, and the communion of saints. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. We've chosen as our text this morning from the New Testament book of Galatians, this is the Apostle Paul talking to us about what it means to be the people of God. And I'm going to read from chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. So as you're able, would you stand to hear God's word? Beginning at verse 26 of Galatians chapter 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. May God enlighten and inspire us through his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Now, here's what happens. The Apostles' Creed, which was collected, put together sometime in the second century, called the Apostles' Creed because there are 12 assertions in the Creed, one for each of the 12 apostles, and it identifies and summarizes the basic tenets of the Christian faith. And so the Apostles' Creed has been used now for 18 centuries to remind those of us who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus, what the basic tenets of our faith really are. And so when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, okay, we believe in God, and he's, and he's great. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, okay, we believe in Jesus. That makes sense. We're called Christians, and so followers of Jesus, yeah, we believe in Jesus, and we believe that he is Lord. We believe he's supreme, and we believe that he was raised from the dead, and so we place our faith in Jesus. But as we go through the creed, notice there's no distinction in the creed between I believe in God the Father, I believe in the Son, 
and I believe in the Holy Spirit. And now we come to this phrase, I believe in the church, the Holy Catholic Church. I believe in the communion of saints. And so watch, the creed actually places the church as an article of faith. It's a focus of faith. So the creed teaches us that we should believe that Jesus is Lord and we should believe in the church. And you say, well, should we believe those equally? Yes. Yes, these are essentials to our faith. There's only 12 assertions. This is one of the 12. We believe in the church. Now let's talk about that for just a little bit today because it's possible that no one in this room has ever heard someone stand up in a church setting or any other setting and say, the church, as God conceives it, and belief in the church is just as important as our belief in Jesus. But that's exactly what the creed is asserting. So today, during this message, I'm going to ask this question over and over again, and you are to respond. The question is, who is the church? And the answer is, you and me. Let's practice. You ready to say it out loud? Who is the church? You and me. We are the church. We are the church. And it's very important to get that. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we know that Jesus is building something in the world. He called it the church. The Greek word for church, which occurs more than 80 times in the New Testament, is the Greek word ekklesia. And it simply means, its basic meaning, to be called out or assembled, called out and assembled as people. And we become the church. We are comprising the church. The church is composed of people. So when you hear church, don't think institution, don't think denomination, don't think buildings, because none of those things are the church. People are the church. Who is the church? You and me. You and me. We are the church. And so it's important to get that in mind. And not only are we the church, but we are God's best option for a reflection of his life and glory and hope in the world. He doesn't have a second option. He doesn't have plan B. He has established his church, you and me, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and we are to be the expression of God in the world. You and me, the church. And so with that as a framework and a background, let's consider these phrases now. We believe in the holy Catholic church. Now, two Two qualities of the church are mentioned in this phrase, holy and Catholic. The first is holy. Holy simply means to be set apart. It means to be acknowledged as belonging to God, holy. Now, all of, us, all of us are righteous. We've talked about righteousness a bit in this series so far. Let's rehearse it again because it's so important. Righteousness is a, is a qualifying term, it's a theological term that simply means that we are in right standing with God. Now, how is that we become in right standing with God, right with God? We, we do that through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so we literally put on Jesus. We put on the righteousness of God provided to us in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So... When we go to heaven someday, the reason we get in isn't because we have earned our way or merited our way into heaven, because that's not possible. Jesus has earned the way for us, 
And by faith, we're saved by grace, this wonderful gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So we literally put on. Uh, the theological term is that we have imputed righteousness so that we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when we stand before God, we are clothed in the merits, the finished work of Jesus, not our own. And that, that's called grace, and that's a gift. And so that's what makes us acceptable to God. We're made righteous through the work of Jesus. So uh, by a percentage basis, how righteous are we? i ask you the question personally. How righteous are you? The answer is you are 100% righteous. Not because, not because you're all that, not because you've earned that designation, but because you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So when the, when the creed reminds us that we are the holy Catholic Church, it implies that we are in right standing with God through the finished work of Jesus, but it also implies, and the term holy captures this, that not only do we have imputed righteousness, but we also should have some embodied holiness as well, so that we are growing in our likeness of Jesus, growing more and more in our character to become more like Jesus, so we're all in process and becoming more like him. So it's imputed righteousness and also a goal to have be embodied holy and to live well and nobly before God. So when many people view the church today, they will push back and say, well, you know, you, you guys don't look holy or Catholic. You don't, you don't seem very good. And, and there's pushback in today's culture. People accuse the church of being hypocritical or judgmental uh, towards persons or groups. And in fact, this is one of the reasons many people have turned away from organized religion, especially young people in our culture today now describing themselves as spiritual, but not religious. I'm a spiritual person, but I don't adhere to any particular religion. And so we have this phenomenon that we have to cope with. Uh, interestingly, these same young people who say I'm not particularly religious, uh, but I am spiritual, these are the same ones who will say about Jesus, we think Jesus is interesting and fascinating, but the church, we don't care for at all. And of course, the worldview of a church in that description would be some institution or organization or structure that you just don't like the way it looks and the way it acts and the way it behaves. But who is the church? It's you and me. It's you and me. Church is you and me. And so it's right to get the right worldview. So the holy church, and now it's the Catholic church. So what does that mean? This is often misunderstood because we confuse this word with the Roman Catholic Church. But in this context, in the creed, it has nothing to do with the Roman Catholic Church. It is, it is a word in this context which means universal. The literal meaning of Catholic is universal. In other words, the church everywhere. So that we believe in the church that's everywhere for all time. It's Catholic. It's universal. So wherever the people of God are in history, that's where the church is. And so wherever the people of God are present, at whatever time in history they've been present, that is where the church is. We believe in the holy Catholic church. So we're not first and foremost Methodists or Baptists or Presbyterians or Pentecostals or Roman Catholics or Eastern Orthodox or Independents. We are first and foremost Christians. If you're looking, if you're looking for a special section in heaven where only the Methodists are, there's not going to be a Methodist section in heaven. Well, why would I want to live in the Methodist section? I'm Baptist, so I go to the Baptist section. No, no. They're just, they're just Christians. 
when, when Jesus looks at his church, he doesn't see differences. He sees us as one. Did you hear the scripture this morning from Galatians 3? Paul said there are no distinctions. Male or female, bond or free, we're all one. We're all one. So we are first and foremost Christians. And that's what it means to be Catholic. So again, when you think church, don't think denomination, don't think institution, don't think building, but rather think people called out, assembled in community. That's what the church is. Who's the church? You and me. We are the church. All right, that leads to the last point. There are three points in the sermon. The last one is this phrase, the communion of the saints. We're already to the last point. Is the church happy? Yes, yeah, it makes the church happy when you get to the last point. We're already there. Congratulations. So, so the communion of the saints. Now, what, is, what does that mean? What does that emphasize? The communion of the saints emphasizes our spiritual connection with the church throughout space and time. There's a spiritual connection. We're in communion. And that means that we are spiritually connected. We are, we are sharing fellowship. We are sharing our lives. We are sharing community on a spiritual level. Now, in the New Testament, to share communion or fellowship on a spiritual level, it means these three things. Subpoint, check this out on the outline A. Shared fellowship or communion of the saints means that we share a common confession. We share a common confession. You need the word confession. We all affirm the apostolic proclamation of the lordship of Jesus Christ. We, we recognize the Apostles' Creed, and this is what Scripture teaches. This is what tradition and history embrace. This is what Christians for 2,000 years have acknowledged as central to our faith. We see the lordship and supremacy of Jesus Christ at the center of what we believe. And so we have a confession about that. And so when modern-day uh, groups or individuals or scholars or liberal leaders in certain denominations or even into the cults like modern-day cults like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, when any of these individuals or groups stop confessing and proclaiming the lordship and supremacy of Jesus Christ, they are in effect, listen, they are in effect breaking fellowship and communion with the saints through time. Because all the saints through time have embraced the centrality, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, and this is what we hold to be true. And so when you say, well, you know, I, I like Jesus, you know, and I like his style, and I like the way he went through the world, and I like what he taught, and I like the things that he did, and I appreciated the way he fed hungry people and cared for people on the margins. And, you know, that's, that's the way my life tends to gravitate. And so I like Jesus, but I don't believe Jesus was God. But I, but I, I, I like Jesus. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. Mm, no. No, ma'am. No, sir. <laughs> Jesus is the central figure in all of human history. This is what Christians believe. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't believe that. 
born of the Virgin Mary. Are you kidding? Suffered under Pontius Pilate. We don't even know if a guy named Pontius Pilate was alive. Crucified, dead, and buried. There's no proof that he was killed. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. Oh, you mean, I don't believe in the resurrection. So you don't believe in the centrality or the lordship of Jesus? Well, no. Then, then that's not a Christian. That's something else. In order to share fellowship at a spiritual level means that we share a common confession. And one thing in our common confession is that we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, now, if you're feeling left out or you feel like that's exclusionary or you feel that's judgmental or you have a problem with that, then you have a problem with 2,000 years of church history. And you say, well, how can you say that? How can you say that, that Jesus is supreme and that he is Lord? This is how I can say it. It's true. Jesus is Lord. Shazam. You want to believe what's true or you want to chase a rabbit? Listen, I, I want to stand on firm ground, not shaky ground. And I happen to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah, happens to be true. Notice you've got to hang your hat on something. You've got to stand somewhere. Now, if you want to stand over in the mush and say, well, I'm just going to follow his teachings, but I'm not going to believe that he's God or he's Lord or I'm responsible to him ultimately, fine, stand over there. That's where you want to stand. I'm going to stand on this cornerstone called Jesus is Lord. And I invite you to do the same. Our father, John Wesley, in the Methodist movement helped us get differentiation here when we disagree with people about such things. And he said, with essential things like the Lordship of Jesus, we want to have unity. We're not going to equivocate on I believe in God the Father Almighty. We're not going to equivocate equate on and I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. We're not going to equivocate I believe in the Holy Spirit. We're not going to equivocate on we believe in the church, the Holy Catholic Church, and we believe in the communion of saints. We're not going to, these are essential things. There's only 12 assertions in the creed. These are essentials that we believe. And Wesley simply said, in essentials, we want to have unity. We want to agree on those things. In non-essential things, he said, and listen, there are a million things that are non-essential. You start unpacking it from there, and then there's the mode of baptism. You know, different sects different, disagree about how the best way to baptize people and how, what words you're supposed to use and how do you do it. I mean, do you dunk people? You put them all the way underwater? Or you just pour water on them? Or you just sprinkle water on them? Or... Uh, you know, issue rain checks, you know, if there's a drought, you don't have enough water. You, there's all kinds of variation there. This is non-essential. Non-essential. So in non-essential things, Wesley said there should be liberty. The way he phrased it was, listen, let uh, you have a thought about it, so, and let, so have your thought. And someone else has a different thought about it. Let them have a different thought. Think and let think was his phrase. And that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And then in all things, he said we want to have charity. We want to be loving. So we can disagree about non-essential things. Reasonable people will disagree about non-essential things. And we just want to keep loving each other because that's the right spirit. So in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity or love.
Yeah, I think you got it. So that leads us to B. This spiritual connection, this communion of the saints, also refers to a connection. You need the word connection we have with one another and with Christ. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And so now we have this metaphor. Christ is the head, and we are his body. Who's the church? You and me. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. Romans 12.5 says, we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually, listen to the phrase, individually members of one another. So here's, what, here's what, what Jesus is building. When he says he's going to build a church, he's going to take us as individuals and he's going, to, he's going to build us together. He's going to mesh our lives together. He's going to intertwine our lives in community, in cohesion, in communion with one another, in a covenant that holds us together. And together, each one of us is shaping itself into the body of Christ because the church, the body of Christ, is you and me. And so he's building our lives like living stones, Hebrews writer says, one upon another into a temple, a tabernacle for God. And so, and so we see the value, the spiritual connectedness in the communion of the saints. When we, when we say to one another, I've invited Jesus into my life, I've become a Christian, I've received forgiveness of my sins, I have a, a personal relationship with Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's fine. It's good. Here's, here's the, the only problem with saying, well, I have a personal relationship with Christ. The problem with it is that it's too weak a statement. It is too tepid a statement. It is too incomplete because it implies that Heck, you know, I can just believe in Jesus and kind of go it alone and be an individual believer and, and life is good and I'm accountable for myself and not anybody else and so that's how I'm going through life. But Jesus says, no, no, there is a community that I'm calling you to, the communion of the saints. There is a connection with my people, living stones one upon another, individually members being built together in community and cohesion. And so as human beings, God has wired us up for this, for community, for belonging, for encouragement, for to be challenged, to be cared for. Yeah, just, just from a secular point of view, this is actually a good thing because a wide variety of studies have indicated that people who have meaningful relationships and connections in their lives uh, have better mental and emotional health and tend to live longer. So in terms of, the, of your own personal well-being and your lifespan, all of that gets increased when you have meaningful connections. So from a spiritual point of view, what Jesus teaches is that we will never grow spiritually into the people God wants us to be unless we have the connectivity that he calls us to in the church. And who's the church? You and me. You and me. We're the church. Now, many people in our culture actually believe the things I just said. Yeah, that's right. You know, we should, we should, we got to go together. We got to stick together. We got to move together. We got to, we got to share life together. Uh, yeah, that's right. Circles are better than rows. Circles are better than rows. Circles are better than rows. We got that. And so, and so, yeah, we've got to be connected. And then, and then when you ask them, are you connected in a local church? 
They say, well, no. No, I'm not. Well, why not? Well, you know, I'll just tell you, I got hurt. I got hurt in a local church. You know, the pastor said something, and it just hurt my feelings. And I just, I just can't go back. I just got disillusioned. So, some of my friends, you know, they said they were my friends, and then when something happened, you know, they just turned on me, and, and I got disappointed, disillusioned. I just, I just pulled out. I just got out of the church. I'm not sure I can go back to a church. All right. Now, hang on a second. Tell me one category in your life where you don't have conflict in relationships. How about marriage? Marriage is a good example because marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a, is a, is a, is a commun, communion, a community. It's a, it's a, it's a cohesion. It's, it's till death do you part. It's a big deal. Now, when, you, when your spouse says something to you and hurts your feelings, do you just walk away from that? You get dis, disappointed, discouraged? No, you hang into the covenant. You do that because you don't turn that loose easily. It's amazing to me how easy it is for people just to walk away in a local church setting. Let me ask you a question. Do you think I've ever had my feelings hurt in the church? Have I ever been disillusioned in the church? Not since 11. We started. <laughs> of course I have. But listen, you don't, you don't give up just, be, just because someone hurts your feelings. I mean, brother and sister sandpaper, they're in every church. You know, people who rub you the wrong way, I just don't think I can hang around that person anymore. They're driving me crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome. Welcome. I, I, met a, I met a woman uh, casually one day. I recognized her. She used to attend our church. And I said to her, hey, how are you doing? Fine. Uh, where are you going to church? She says, well, I'm not really going anywhere. This is a, this is a common kind of experience. Well, well, come on back. Come on back home. Jump on back into the flock, into the family, where you belong. Oh, I could never go come back to your church. Well, why is that? Well, here's her story. My best friend, uh, my best friend lost her husband. A woman in your church seduced my best friend's husband and ruined their marriage. I could never come back to your church. Your church is full of hypocrites. Shocking. This is a big shock to me. Can you imagine? Pastor finding out this church is full of hypocrites. <laughs> Listen, I didn't even blink. I thought it was funny. I said to her, that's, that's it? That's the best you've got? The best you can do for breaking covenant from the relationships God has called you to in the church? That's it? I said, hypocrites? Are you kidding not only do we have hypocrites, I said, we're all hypocrites. You're a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. All God's children are hypocrites. Every last single one of us. Who are you calling a hypocrite? I'm calling you a hypocrite, you hypocrite. <laughs> because all of us are in process. None of us have arrived. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's, everybody's experiencing the work of God in our lives. This is going to be a process that takes us all the way to the end. So who do you think you are imagining that, that, 
that you're better than anybody else, especially in the church. You're not, and I'm not. We, we all need God's grace and help. And I said to her, are you going to heaven? She bristled. She said, I most certainly am. I said, well, why do you want to go? Not going to be anybody there but us hypocrites. <laughs> you don't like hanging out with us now? Why would you like hanging out with us then? I don't think it helped her. Um, <laughs> wasn't a good pastoral moment for me. Don't always do those well. But it does make a point, doesn't it? Yeah, we need each other. Everybody's in process. Let me just remind you of something. You are not what has happened to you in your past. You are not that person. You don't know what happened to me. Listen, I know some of you have the most horrific stories. You were abused. You were mistreated. You were abandoned. People did evil things to you and against you. And it, it, it left a mark. I mean, it damaged you. It wounded you. But listen to me. You are not what has happened to you in your past. Here's what God will do. God will meet you right where you are. Right where you are, no, ma no matter your story, no matter your condition, no matter the circumstance, God will find you today. You don't have to backtrack. I've got to, well, I'd come, I'll come to church, Pastor, and you know, get involved with, the, with Christian people as soon as I clean up my mess. I have a mess. i got this baggage, and I, you know, I just feel like a victim, and I just can't get past it, and I go from one bad thing to another bad thing. And I, but as soon as I clean this mess up, then I'm going to get engaged and, 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 and be part of the church because, you know, you Christian people, you, you're a lot better shape than I am, so, so I need to clean this up for you. You stop that. Stop it. Stop it right now. God doesn't want you to go through life alone trying to figure out your victimhood. He doesn't want you to experience your life as a victim. He's got great plans for you. He's got purpose for your life. He will meet you where you are and take you from that point into his better plan and purpose for your life. Let me say it another way. You are not your worst decisions in your own life. Some of you have a story that say, you know, I just lost my way. I walked away from God and I knew it wasn't right. I got in this situation and I made a bad decision and it ruined my life. And now I have to suffer the consequences of those poor choices, that bad season of my life forever. This, I'm stuck and I'm just done. This is it. That is, that is, just, that is just wrong. That is not true. You've, you've, been, you've been deceived about that. You think that because you made a mistake that your life doesn't have any purpose any longer. That is a lie. God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. And the best way for you to realize God's potential in your life is to stay in connection and community with the people of faith. Look, we all fall down. Everybody falls down. And when we do, we need somebody to help us up. And some of us, I mean, I get it. We've fallen down and we help you up and we dust you off. And we say, you know, look, you're going to limp. You're going to limp for a while because that was a bad fall. You're going to limp for a while. But we're going to be right here. And we're going to hang on to you. We're going to go arm in arm until you get healed so that you can go on walking on your own. And that's what we're called to do. It's a spiritual connection. Jesus said, I will build my church. And he said, the gates of hell won't prevail against it, meaning that hell will not prevail in your life or your life or your life if we'll stick together in covenant community and make a difference for each other. 
Even if that woman that I was talking to had said to me, look, I'm finding this meaningful connection outside of the church with a handful of Christian friends I have, so I really don't need, need that part. Well, okay, let's assume that you found meaningful connection with some folks outside of a local church. Here's the problem. Now God calls you not just to be a person in need, but a person to contribute to the needs of others. That you are uniquely designed and uniquely wired and with unique experiences that God will shape and mold you into the kind of person that can minister to the needs of people who have similar issues that you've gone through. So it's not just about what you receive in connection, it's also about what you give in connection. It's good preaching. It's good preaching right there. I don't know what you put in the offering, but you probably feel bad now. It wasn't more after what you're getting. <laughs> it's good. It's the truth. Are you encouraged? I want to put courage in you. I want to help you realize that if you'll, if you'll connect, that's why we want everybody to be in a small group. We expect everyone to be in a small group. And people would just go, oh, brother, whatever. I, you know, I'm busy. I got soccer. I got music. I got recital. I got... I got I got this business meeting, I got to leave town, I got to blah, 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 and everybody's got this schedule. You, you, don't have time, you don't have time for connection. Seriously. You cannot realize the best plan of God for your life outside of the connection, the communion of the saints. The writers of the creed said, the communion of the saints Believing in that is just as important as believing that Jesus raised from the dead. It's a big deal. It's a serious issue. And this is what the church is meant to look like. We need more stretcher bearers. You know, those four guys in Mark's gospel that let their paralyzed friend through the roof need more, need more stretcher bearers so we can hold each other up, make a difference in each other's lives, journey together. Well, here's the last thing. I just want to drive this point home. See, the church is, in its essence, not an institution. Bureaucratic structure, complex organizational chart. It's none of that stuff. Instead, who's the church? Let me add, end with this thought. You know, we have uh, this uh, emerging generation uh, they resist uh, and they don't like uh, labels and those kinds of sociological designations. We're calling them millennials or mosaics or now post-millennials. They don't like the labels. Okay, I'm a, I'm a baby boomer. I was, I was born between 1946 and 64. So I have, a, I have a baby boomer brain because of the way I was raised. And so I have a worldview now that's locked into my generation. And so I, it's a real struggle for me to understand millennials and post-millennials. I have to really work at it. I'm trying hard to figure it out. And, and so raising my own kids was a little bit difficult. Um, our oldest son isn't quite in that generation, but our younger son is. And so I don't, it's hard for me to get him. And now my grandchildren, I don't know if I'll ever catch up with them the way they see the world. It's, it's just different. But, it, but we can study to understand each other. You can, you can develop some skills in understanding. And here are three things that we're hearing from millennials about 
their deepest desires for themselves and for their generation. And they almost speak in unison. I mean, this, this is, there's an echo to this. This is what we want. This is what we want. This is what we want. And these three things are clear. One is they want meaningful and heartfelt relationships. They want deep community, serious community, um, deep friendships, lasting friendships. They want to be connected. The second thing is they want to share values. They want to see the world together. They want to share those values. The way we're going to go through the world together are based on these assumptions, these values. And so they, sh they want to share those values. And the third thing is that they want to make a difference. They, they want to have a positive effect on the world. They want to have purpose. Now, now stop and listen to that list. Meaningful connection, shared values, a purposeful life. Here's my response. Welcome to the church. Welcome to the church. Welcome to the church. Now, if you, if you hear, welcome to the institution, welcome to the denomination, welcome to the building, welcome to all, all these structures, you'll miss it. But if you hear, who's the church? If you hear you and me in relationship, building one upon another, arm in arm, hand in hand, sharing vision, sharing purpose, sharing meaning, going forward in God's best plan for each of our unique generations. Now you found your home. Welcome to the church. Well, can we say it out loud? I believe in the holy Catholic church and the communion of saints. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we're reminded that when Jesus came, you did not simply call individual disciples, but rather you formed a community a family, a people chosen to love and to continue your work in the world. And that as we assemble or gather, uh, we are meant to be a foretaste of heaven, a place where people can care for one another and encourage one another and build one another up. But it also means to be a community empowered and led by the Holy Spirit so that we can serve and make a difference and leave a positive impact on the world. Lord, in all these ways, we see the value of your church. And so we say again from our hearts, I believe in the holy Catholic church and the communion of saints. And the people of God said, amen.